a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Ghost Coast to Coast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Matt and Liz. We are going to run down Season 3 of The Clone Wars as Liz is watching the series for the first time. But before then, there is a, a fair amount of Star Wars news um, that is coming out. But first, I wanted to ask you guys, have you been watching the um, the series on Disney Plus, and of course I'm blanking on the name now that we're recording, about the making of The Mandalorian? I didn't know that existed. Oh, I I huh. did know, but I have not been watching it because I've been watching Clone Wars. Okay, so there's <laughs> there's three episodes out so far. Um, it is called. Excuse better, Liz. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a very fair excuse. Um, so it's called Disney Gallery: The Mandalorian, and it's an eight episode documentary series. Uh, it does not go episode by episode. Like the first episode was all about sort of the directors of the Clone Wars. No, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. The first one, the Clone Wars, forgive me, Mandalorian. The first one is sort of just like general background on the series. The second one is all about the directors, and the third one's all about the cast. Um, it, it's it's perfectly cromulent television. Like, it's not, <laughs> it, it's, it's not the best thing you've ever seen, but Dave Filoni, who created the Clone Wars and who was one of the producers on The Mandalorian, he gives like a five-minute speech in the second episode about how the duel of the fates in episode one connects to Luke and Vader fighting in Return of the Jedi in front of the Emperor and gives like the best unified theory of Star Wars I've ever heard. Wow, okay. Like he he I, I don't want to uh, to do a poor job of what he does, but essentially he talks about how the duel of the fates is the most important scene in the Star Wars in the, in the Star Wars saga, um, and, and he gives a really compelling reason for why that is. And mm-hmm. even if I don't one hundred percent agree with it, it made me think of that sequence totally differently. Um, and then he connects it to Return of the Jedi, and it's it's beautiful. It's really great. So if nothing else. You know, just just fire up your Disney Plus, watch that episode, or at least just fast forward to you see Dave Filoni talking a whole lot. He's the one wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> just, just look for the hat. Yeah, and uh, and just like watch that sequence. It's it's masterfully done. Hmm. It's it's really really good. Um, that is my that is my Star Wars recommendation for today. Excited. Um, yeah. So some other just just news that has come out since we last recorded. Uh, there's been a ton of casting rumors about the Mandalorian uh, some of them seem more legitimate than others to me like Katie Sackoff who voiced Bo-Katan on Clone Wars is supposedly going to be returning to play that character in the Mandalorian we've mm-hmm. also heard and we had heard this before that maybe um, you know uh, I've already forgotten her name my goodness my brain has this is why I'm not a, I'm not a school teacher. I'm like my <laughs> my co-host. I, I I teach a second grader for a few weeks. My brain goes to mush. Um, <laughs> write everything down. Cory Booker's girlfriend. What's her name? Um, Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Thank you. Playing Ahsoka. Uh, we've heard about yeah. that. We just heard that Timothy Oliphant will apparently be appearing in the Mandalorian, as well as uh, mm. Tamira Morrison, who played Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones. Apparently, the rumor is he's maybe playing Boba Fett in. Um, the Mandalorian. Ugh. <laughs> so, you know how Matt feels. I, you know, I, I can see it in flashbacks, but we don't, we don't, we don't need him. So I, the rumor that came out today is that Timothy Oliphant will be wearing the Boba Fett armor, but is not Boba Fett. Hmm. And there's a scene in one of the Star Wars aftermath novels, which I, I keep talking about these. I'm, we might have to read those as a podcast at some point, but. The Aftermath novels, in between, I can say every third or fourth chapter, there are these little vignettes of different parts of the galaxy. And in one of them, somebody buys the Boba Fett armor from somebody on Tatooine who, like, fished it out of the Sarlacc pit. Um, So there's a character who buys the armor. I'm wondering if that's who he's playing. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, okay. Because that, to me, is far more interesting than having Boba Fett himself walk around. Yes, agreed. Agreed. <clears throat> huh. Um, and then the only, yeah. the only two bits of, like, actual verified news, one of which is, is very cool. Both These kind of go, go together, the cool ones. Um, that Taika Waititi of um, Thor Ragnarok fame, as well as directing... Uh, the Mandalorian episodes and voicing IG-11 on there. He is going to be doing a new Star Wars film uh, that was announced on May the 4th. And, yeah, that I'm excited about. Yeah. Uh, and he'll be re- he'll be writing the screenplay with Christy Wilson-Carnes, who wrote uh, 1917, which I did not see, but I've heard very good things about. So mm-hmm. that's fun. And then Leslie Headland, who created Russian Doll for Netflix, is apparently developing a new Star Wars live-action series for Disney Plus as well. And that is rumored to be a uh, a female-centric series. Many believe that might be the Ahsoka, Sabine, uh, okay. Bo-Katan series. Mm. Uh, all right. So That'd I, be I, awesome. I, I had a conversation recently with somebody about this. I feel like it's a little bit unfair that the voice of Ahsoka, who has actually cosplayed as Ahsoka a bunch of times at conventions and stuff, that she may not get the chance to play the live-action version. Um, but I understand why maybe that's not the best choice to have a voiceover actress who maybe has never done a lot. I don't know what her what her you know IMDb resume looks like. I don't know if she's done traditional on-screen acting before. But it's mm-hmm. kind of a bummer that she that this person who gave that character voice and who made that character all that we all that we know about the character pretty much you know would lose out to a bigger name but i think that's just kind of the reality of of jumping from animation to live action yeah Mm. is it ashley Eckstein? i think yes ashley Eckstein. yes yeah and and i think that as you watch clone wars eventually into rebels you see what a great job she does with that character so okay I, i i do feel for her um yeah but so, you know, that means that right now Disney Plus is working on uh, an Obi-Wan Kenobi series, the Cassian Andor series, um, the Mandalorian, this new uh, Leslie Hayland, Headland rather, series, as well as um, films by Taika Waititi, Ryan Johnson, and supposedly also uh, Kevin Feige of Marvel films fame mm-hmm. he is supposedly writing and possibly directing a star wars film as well so there's a lot out there but it's not a ton of like concrete information and we're not going to have that until this pandemic is over yeah yeah it's unfortunate yeah for, i mean obviously for many reasons but <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it just seemed like they, they were getting into a, such a good groove of coming out with things, of really being the driving force of Star Wars, and yeah, it's gonna go to radio silence soon. Well, I, I wonder if so. Like, I had talked to you guys off air one time about that show. I believe it's called Star Wars Detours, where it was like the robot chicken guys made thirty something episodes of a Star Wars show that never aired. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I feel like Disney Plus might break that out at some point. Because if it's already done, why not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I would hope that maybe Disney is using this time to shore up the plots and the screenplays of these films that we've heard about so that when <laughs> everything goes back into production, they are more or less ready to go with all of this. Maybe it's better in the end. It'll give them the time they need. Yeah, yeah, have somebody awesome proofreading over something, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would think that even, <laughs> like, if there were if there were things to be done, like 3D renderings and, and character design, all of that can probably be done from people's homes. It's just the physical building of sets and the filming of things that probably can't be done. Mm-hmm. So yeah. hopefully they can push the pre-production of all these things up to the point where, okay, when it's time to go back, we can go back you know, in this order, bam, 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 and get all these movies done and series done. Um, 
because we were all sort of saying, oh man, there's not going to be a Star Wars film from 2019 to 2022. That's such a long time. <laughs> well, we might be waiting a lot longer than that now. Yeah. <laughs> but the good news is the Mandalorian season is shot. So that is coming out in oh. October no matter what. Oh, good. I, I didn't Perfect. know that, actually. Yeah, that, that, yeah, they have wrapped that. So that's good. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. So anyway, that that's all the news that fits. Um, we have... A couple of episodes planned to talk about uh, one of the one of the new novels that came out, um, the the Padme focused novel. Uh, we'll be getting to that later this summer, and uh, I have some fun curveballs I may throw my co-hosts. Um, but I do want to say I, I, I want to um, just get our our news section here ended unfortunately on a sad note. Uh, Charlie Lippincott, who was uh, somebody who worked. He was hired by George Lucas in 1975 to do promotion and, mer- and merchandising for Star Wars. Uh, he died of the coronavirus uh, just oh. the last week, and uh, you know that's one of those guys that um, we don't really think about as being a huge part of Star Wars. But he was the guy who sought out the first comic book and toy deals for Star Wars, and I I would say that without the toys. We may not be talking about Star Wars today. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fair. You know, uh, he he only worked for Lucasfilm for three or four years, but um, you know, he what he did with you gotta realize at that time toys were not that common for films, and so his his pushing for that I think defined Star Wars fandom in a way that few other people can point to such a like direct line from their job to 40 plus years later showing you know just how important that contribution is so uh mm-hmm. you know we're, we're we're very sorry that that charlie lippincott passed away and uh you know rest in peace so sorry mm-hmm. to bring it down just felt that was that was relevant to our our podcast here so yeah. um let's talk about some happier stuff so the clone war so liz n- now you've seen uh essentially one half of the clone wars the so season's Six and seven are truncated, so you've seen about half the episodes of Clone Wars. Ooh, all right. How I feel like f- I've accomplished something. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about the series at the halfway point right now? Oh, I'm enjoying it. I feel like it took me some time to get into it. I feel like I really enjoyed season two. Um, and, you know, I'm enjoying season three. I feel like I've sort of gotten to know the characters. It took me some time um, to get to know them. But now that I've gotten through season three... Um, now I know them better. So let, let's talk about that for a second. Um, you know, obviously the big ticket item in the show is Ahsoka. She's sort of the the character that grows the most and changes the most, and that and that you don't know what her story's ending is before the series starts. So, what are your thoughts on Ahsoka three seasons in? Um, I, you know, I feel like in season two she was given a lot more to do, and then in season three that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the fact that she's given the chance to work with other female characters like Satine and even Padme more so um, in this season. I think Padme's given more to work with even at the beginning of season three. She's not just working with Anakin, but she uses the things that Anakin has taught her um, in other instances. Um, and actually, I liked at the end of the season, sort of the lesson learned was, you know, his good teaching saved the day. Yeah. <laughs> She used what uh, he taught him. But yeah, it's sort of, you know, her growth, I think, um, in season three. Um, she's taken what Anakin has taught her. Um, and she uses it to maybe even help teach and lead and help other people, which I think is pretty formidable. She's becoming sort of a force on her own. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think about... Um how Anakin is being portrayed so far. Well, I have to say that if the Clone Wars has done anything, it's made me like Anakin and feel sympathy for Anakin, which is something I totally did not expect at all. Yeah. Um, And still, I still feel the same way. And, you know, there are flashes and glimpses of, you know, the negative we're going to see in the future. And, you know, I know where things are headed for him, but I definitely feel more sympathy for him which is something i never expected 
Um, yeah, and I think the season is a good one to see that, um, especially as you reflect on his sort of indoctrination into the war effort in this season. And I think as you, like you said, you see um, Ahsoka grow and start learning and her questioning of the war versus his, I don't know, bullheaded patriotism um, makes him a much more complex character. Yeah, and you start to see how he starts to almost, you know, question, you know, the fact that the Jedi don't want to use those warlike ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, other people play to that and they see that. I don't know if you want to call it, you know, a weakness within him. Um, yeah, and Ahsoka, you know, going the other way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he still cares about Ahsoka. And then last question. Sort of, <clears throat> is there another character from this season that really stood out to you in terms of growth, whether it's Rex or uh, Ventress or Obi-Wan or anybody else? Um, yeah, I feel like Ventress, just because she sort of got her own character arc, her own story. We saw her backstory. She was taken back home. Um, we saw how she was raised, and that led into um, that whole other story with the Night Sisters. Mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Um, I didn't expect to learn more about her, and to have her, you know, be betrayed by someone she trusted by um, Count Dooku. Yeah, yeah. Um... Ventress's story was supposed to wrap up in season six of the Clone Wars, but one of it was one of the arcs that went unproduced, and they turned it into mm. a novel, which is excellent. Mm. Have you read that novel, Matt? No. Oh, you would you would you would lap that up. You would okay. love that novel. That's, that's, it sounds great already. Yeah, it's. Um, I'll, I'll lend it to you next time I see you. Well, you know what? No, get your own copy because who knows what the fuck I'm going to see you. <laughs> like, because this is this is the <laughs> sad world we live plan. in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, drive past my house and I'll throw like, a football into your car. There we go. Great. <laughs> While wearing gloves, of course. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then just the venture story too brought um in um oh I, Darth you know Darth Maul and all of that as well, which was unexpected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the introduction of the oddly important character Savage Press. Um, <laughs> It becomes wildly important out of nowhere, but yeah. yeah. All right. Yes, that is true. Um, yeah, there was sort of like a witchy, magical element to to that whole part, which was unexpected in terms of Star Wars. Yeah, and that's something I really wanted to explore with you is this idea of, I would say, this season of Clone Wars more than anything else until maybe the final season of Rebels is the most out there that Star Wars gets. Um, I think it really like brings you to the limits of um, the fantasy realm of Star Wars. And it's interesting to see it compared to some of the other complaints of minor things. You know, how could so-and-so force heal? How could so-and-so pull themselves out? That's, you know, unrealistic. It's like, well, we've seen some stuff. And this <laughs> season is certainly some stuff. Yeah, I can see that. I wonder if people having seen this season before, and I guess the last season of Rebels too, before The Last Jedi made people more accepting of sort of the weird force things in The Last Jedi. Hmm. That's a good question. I, I would think so. And I think that was that, <laughs> that was the, a lot of the arguments I had made online too, the idea of, like the force is big and weird and unknowable. Um, and this, this and this last season of rebels really, really show that. So there, there is no limits to it. You know, you could speak through the voices of the dead. You could, you know, put your life force through to another, like you can do whatever you want. Like that's kind of what it is. Yeah. I know you, you, you have a, there's an older episode where you, and um, your old co-hosts talk about that idea of what the Force is and isn't. And uh-huh. I think th- this specifically, this season, really helps define some of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so, Matt, we're going to sort of let you take charge here. Let's talk about the non, the arcs that aren't going to take us, you know, a chunk of time to talk about. Where yeah. do you want to start? 
Yeah, because there's a couple of we can just go just knock them out in order. This begins with the cadets arc, where we see the kind of band of losers <laughs> working their way through um, Camino. I don't know if I had any thoughts on that one. I just like seeing this idea that we get back to in the final season of Clone Wars um, of what the clones think their role is. And this is maybe the first time we see just a completely non um, main character story in Clone Wars. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know if anybody else thought anything of that first arc I tend I tend to enjoy the clone based arcs on the Clone Wars, but I feel like almost all of them are an episode or two too long. Um, so that's kind of how I feel about this <laughs> about this arc. Yeah, it Liz, didn't need to be time split. No, no, exactly. Liz, what about you? Yeah, I, I felt in some ways it was necessary. I mean, the title of the series is Clone Wars. Um, you know, I, it felt like it was necessary in some ways just to see where they start out. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. It was cool. Yeah, they persevered. Yeah, and I think it does start introducing this idea of how overextended the Republic is right now. The fact that we see Jedi just stopping in for kind of like spot inspections as random bounty hunters train the elite army was an interesting kind of vision into it. And we see it later on as well with the idea that the Republic can barely afford to pay for these clones to begin with. Right. That's what I was just going to say. That, yeah. Know, there's a, uh, there's a thread throughout this, this whole season of just, uh, you know, the war is ramping up and nobody really knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that seems to be the case. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting, you know, question of morality as well. Just, you know, these individuals that are, bread born just just to fight yeah and i think <laughs> this season does a good job of asking those moral questions because later on we see come there's a bunch of random episodes that are sort of sprinkled throughout um including a jar jar bink centered one but we also really see for the first time behind the veil of the federation and we see um their senate and we see kind of padme reaching to the other side of the aisle and seeing what, you know, that side is. I don't know what you thought of that, Liz, because that also was, I found it very interesting to see the war through the opponent's eyes. Again, a group of people who are not slaughtering, you know, people they make in Petri dishes, they're using robots to defend what they believe are their rights. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I felt like there were a lot more questions of morality in this season, and it's tough, you know, I, to figure out what, what your stance is. Um, it, it's not easy. It's yeah. very difficult when it comes to war, and sometimes you think it's very black and white. Um, and, you know, when you talk to someone on a personal level, it's not always that easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was interesting. To, I don't know, Brian, if you thought the idea of, like, seeing Dooku and the Emperor's roles in each of those is kind of puppet master-esque. But when you take that away, it is a war still. And we forget that. What I was going to say is I think this season is the one that gives you the best indication as to what exactly the Clone Wars were like to be in the middle of them. And I think that one of the benefits of the Clone Wars series if it were somehow to have been produced and released in between Attack of the Clones and um, Revenge of the Sith, would be that it would make Dooku actually a formidable opponent. You know, we see so little of Dooku in the films, and he just doesn't seem... Like, it doesn't seem like a big deal when he's killed, because, yes, he beat two Jedi in a lightsaber duel, but we don't get any sense of his real power or what he's mm-hmm. capable of. And here we, we see a lot more of his, not only him as a general and as a, as a, you know, uh, a wartime, um, you know, a, a war, I guess it's a wartime general is what I'm looking for. But, but we also get to see just him as a Sith. You know, we were, we're always told that the Sith are all about themselves, all about selfishness. And we see his betrayal of Ventress here very much sort of fitting into that. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did you guys see that in the 
children's novelization of uh, Rise of Skywalker, they they explain the rule of two a little bit better. No, no. They say that there has always been more than two Sith, but there's always like two main Sith. That mm-hmm. makes much more sense. It does. It shouldn't take the fucking children's adaptation of a film to tell us that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I. <laughs> That's always been a sticking point. And another sticking point um, we're going to talk about later on in the episode as well. Just how do you center your entire three movie franchise around certain ideas and then never actually explain them? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yarp. Yeah. Uh, but at, we we also see a arc that we can blaze on by the Zero the Hut arc. Uh. <laughs> now, it's notable for a couple things. It does come up in season seven of Clone Wars. Yes. Okay. Uh, but also is just a real flurry of just. I don't, I don't even know what to describe it as. He, we see this, I don't know, over-homosexualized Southern Belle I don't, Jabba character. We see a bunch of other weird ethnic stereotypes. It's an oddball scheming of nothing that just feels like it dragged on for way too long. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else had positives of that part, but... <laughs> So here, here is where I feel like there's intent versus execution. Whenever George Lucas tries, or Lucasfilm by default, tries to make their films more diverse, more than half the time it just winds up being broad cultural stereotypes. <laughs> uh, and I feel like Zero yeah, the Hut is basically like, if you ask somebody in the 50s what a gay person would be like, <laughs> that is what they make Zero the Hut like here. Yeah. Very Tennessee Williams yes. uh, character. He's basically Truman Capote the Hut. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. Oh, man. Now when I teach in cold blood, that's all I'm going to think of. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it does have the inclusion of Aura Singh and Cad Bane, so it gets points for that, but not much else. Yeah, also, was there a performance of Anything Goes in that episode, which reminded me of Indiana Jones? <laughs> yes. Well, don't mention Indiana Jones to Matt. We know he's... Uh, I know. You know. Yeah, I, I'm going to see one in the drive-in, so I'll, uh, right. which, which I'll one? experience it this summer. Um, the uh, Last Crusade. <gash> it's coming to the no, drive-in? No, no, it's, no, it's the first one. Oh, Raiders? Okay. Shoot, never mind. Raiders. Uh, Raiders. Raiders is all excellent. <laughs> which drive-ins are coming to? Warwick? Um the Demarest Farms. Oh really? Oh okay. Yep. We'll have to we'll have to make a a, a, a group date of that. Mm-hmm. Get all of us out there doing that. That sounds good okay. to me. Um, um <laughs> and let's see. We'll co- we'll come back to the Fall of Ventress arc cuz that kind of Yeah, that one is more important. Yeah. We see the Citadel arc which again is cool. We see them trying to break a Jedi out of prison, but really is, I think, more to highlight Tarkin. Mm, what a jerk. Yeah. Um, it's fine. Again, this is part of the the trouble where you have to remember that it is kind of just kind of a cartoon show. Yeah. And sometimes you just need cool things going on. I don't know if anybody had any deeper thoughts on... No. No, I didn't. <laughs> it seemed like it was just like Tarkin was like the jerk boss guy. And he's like, I see you've trained her well. Mm. Yeah. It was like, remember me. I'm important later. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we finish off with a two-parter, which is half a really excellent, um, really interesting um, Ahsoka-led episode where we see a battle royale slash hunger games slash ooh, what uh new mutants was that what it was no um avengers arena okay yes avengers arena good call good call yeah yeah um where we see ahsoka and other padawans being hunted for sport which is a really great episode and then part two we drop in chewbacca because why not yep <laughs> 
Chewbacca I, is one of those characters <laughs> that should have never been in any of the prequel stuff. No. And he's in a lot of it. Yeah, he's in too much of it. <laughs> I feel like he's always just like an easy ad. They're like, you know what? We'll just drop Chewbacca in. Yeah. And like, someone the timeline of Chewbacca is insane. What? Are... I don't. I don't get. I don't. I don't know if it. Okay, I'm glad Brian. It took you out of it. Liz, did you, was it a welcome edition or was it kind of um, breaking I, it was the kind f- of whatever? I was like, oh look, it's Chewbacca. I. I don't know. It. It didn't seem necessary. No, and I think uh, it took what was a like a suspenseful episode, and it's made it like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? I, I think you might be right. I feel like it made it a little mo- less high stakes somehow. The fact mm-hmm. that Chewbacca showed up. Yeah. Yeah, I think you might be right in that sense. Mm-hmm. It just seems to me like it, it somewhat undermines the. It undermines the creators' feelings about their own characters that they have to, oh, like shit, we gotta put Chewbacca in this to make people care about it. Like, no, <laughs> people should already care about these characters. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it comes right at the end where they've already dropped in Tarkin for seemingly no necessary reason. It's just like they had a quota to fill of <laughs> main series characters that they needed to get in. So they just kind of shoved it in at the end of season three. I mean, yeah. I guess Chewbacca is a, a kid favorite. Mm-hmm. We're talking about in terms of a kid show. That's true. That That's something interesting, too. We see a lot of um, murder, backstabbing, yeah. Yeah. Um, and just very darkness in this season. So, again, yeah, maybe just to give that little bit of levity. Yeah. Yeah, because this is this is the, kind of the turning point season. I want to say it's sort of in season two, but for me, this is really where we start to see this show become more than just a kids' cartoon, where it starts getting darker and more serious. Um, talking about the morality of war, seeing the real underbelly of the Republic, hunting kids for sport—you know, all that jazz. Hmm. Yeah, the species that was hunting um, the kids for sport reminded me of a species from Star Trek called the Herosian because mm-hmm. they use a lot of the same terminology. The Transdotians are essentially them, yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because they're both aggressive hunting species. They call, you know, the other species their prey. They use the phrase, like, the hunt, the kill. They call their kill, like, trophies. It was very similar. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. That is my favorite Voyager arc. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. <laughs> Look at that. There you go. Um, but yeah, so that brings us to two last really different, really set aside arcs in the fall of Ventress and the Ghosts of Mortis arc. Um, so do you want to talk about those a little bit now? And then I have some real interesting thoughts about the Mortis arc in general. Let's, um, let's take so, a break right now. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. When we come back, we'll talk about those two arcs. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. So Matt, I guess we'll start with the uh, the Fall Adventures arc, right? Yeah. Which these are names I'm giving them, by the way, so we can call them whatever. But I figured that's a good, sure, a good way to do it. Yeah. Go for it. No, because in that one, I think you hit the nail on the head. The idea that we see. We hear about the Sith being evil. We see hear about them um, turning on each other, kind of a Ouroboros constantly eating in its own tail. But this is the time we actually see this portrayal in person. Um, it, I guess, is sort of a foreshadowing to Anakin taking Dooku's place. Um, but we see 
Ventress turned against and in a very interesting turn going back to her home and finding the Sith witches, which for a while was just EU thing. And it really, as somebody who likes the weirder end of Star Wars, was really, really appealing. I don't know. How did that arc go for you, Liz? Were you as into the weirdness or did it feel Star Warsy? Um, I was going to say it was unexpected. Um, it didn't necessarily feel Star Warsy, but it it, it it didn't feel out of place either. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, I did enjoy the arc. I liked the Ventress backstory. Um, so it was something I did wind up enjoying. I think the idea yeah. of something feeling Star Wars changes the more Star Wars you encounter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I so I feel like if you had read a bunch, of, I'm not saying you, Liz, or you, Matt, but if 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 a person has read a bunch of the novels, their understanding of what is Star Wars is wider and deeper than what somebody who just saw the films is, or who, someone who watches the animated stuff, or who played the video games or played the comics. Like everything introduces new corners to Star Wars, but I do think there is sort of like an indelible, undefinable je ne sais quoi when it comes to Star Wars or like some things just really like to me the good example of this is I felt like every second of Rogue One felt like Star Wars even Mm -hmm. though we had not seen any Star Wars like that before agreed yeah I agree with that I think some stuff in the Clone Wars doesn't begin feeling like Star Wars, but as you watch more of it, it's it does feel more like that. I think it's interesting that how this is all now, like, baked into canon, because it used to be um, the extended universe is very broad. It had lots of weird stuff, lots of good stuff, lots of bad stuff, but it was always arguable what was real, what was not. Which authors can you really accept? Which ones you can't? But this is kind of like the first time we see some interesting out there stuff really undeniably baked into the canon. And this is stuff that Disney has carried forward um, with the Night Sisters, even when we talk about the Gods of Mortis. Like, this is stuff that's fully now woven throughout Star Wars, um, which I couldn't be happier about. Hmm. Yeah, It certainly adds a dimension to the to the overarching idea of what Star Wars is. Mm-hmm. And it also to like one of the things that I know Matt you have lamented a number of times is that this is this is a story about a galaxy and we focus on one family. Yeah. And so to be able to tell stories about this completely different realm that we never encountered before, stuff that borders on you know, more mysticism and more supernatural stuff and ghosts and shit, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it does really blow out the walls for what Star Wars can be. Yeah. And I think this tying in with, um, season seven, this, this, um, this season in general ties in with season seven a lot, just from the idea with the cadets, the bad batch, we actually see echo being left at the Citadel Um, And this idea of how important Darth Maul has been behind the scenes the entire time Um, from kind of this point forward is really, really interesting. It gives that other dynamic to Star Wars. There are other really important people doing things. It's not just the Skywalkers running around having a solo show, um, which I enjoy. Yeah. But I do think that idea of pushing on the edges of Star Wars really comes into focus with the Gods of Mortis arc, where we see uh, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and uh, Anakin literally pulled out of space and time into a- another world that is completely made up of, controlled by the Force. Um that is again for me it's something that i really love it's uh i would say the weirdest we see star wars get um even more than loth wolves and you know wormholes in rebels like this is 
something above and beyond what we see anywhere else kind of in Star Wars. Um, I was talking to Liz off air about the idea. It very much reminds me of Star Trek and Q in the idea where everything fits this kind of beat in Star Trek. And then Q and the Q species just can make it anything. And we kind of get that feel with this. I don't know if you were getting that same vibe, Liz. A little bit. Yeah. 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 So uh, I think for, yeah. What I was, was going to say, Brad, is yeah. I, I feel like this arc ties in, and I'm trying to say this in the least spoilery way. When, um, when Ezra is able to pluck somebody out of the past, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 that's the, I, I might even go back and censor that in the, in, the, in Rebels. I feel like this and yeah. that fit together very much so. It very directly does, too. Um, there's artwork depicting things that then become significantly important that then double back and are important in the finale of Clone Wars that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. there. It, again, the fact that if this was just a one-off this is something weird and goofy, like Jar Jar somehow knowing how to juggle. <laughs> like that'd be that it wouldn't matter as much. But the fact that this gets baked in to Star Wars in such a specific way, into a way that we can even possibly think about this connection that we see through the Force, um, through what we start calling the world between worlds, through this bigger living force being possibly what we see um ray tap into at the end of uh rise of skywalker like this broad idea of the force connects us through ways that we don't understand living death they even use that line that no one it's not exactly the same as no one's ever really gone but they use that in this and i was like oh shit that's Luke learns that later on, much, much later. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it it fits in so much better than you would something where a giant bat and a griffin fight for the life of Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, just as I was watching it, it just felt like it was more important or just very important to all of Star Wars. It even mentioned, you know, they even mentioned in one of the episodes that, you know, they're more than the Sith and the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it it just it felt like there's so much Star Wars as a whole can pull from from just these few episodes. There was just so much here. Mm-hmm. What what did you think of the episodes, Liz, in terms of enjoyment? Did you like these episodes? I did. Yeah, I, I did enjoy them. Um, they're the episodes that stood out to me the most in the season. Um, I know Matt had mentioned something when we were texting just about the season. I hadn't gotten to them yet. Um, and, you know, I wasn't really sure what he was referring to. And then when I got to them, I knew exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed them and they stood out to me. But yeah, I just feel like there's so much, you know, you could pull from from all of Star Wars just from this. It's just sort of the basis of in terms of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, you know what you talk about when it comes to the Force, which I thought was interesting that it's, you know, stuck here in the middle of season 3 of the Clone Wars. <laughs> well, that that's sort of my question. Do you think that and this is a question for both of you. Do mm-hmm. you think that the movies could lean more into this and not lose people? See, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, the fan backlash at the idea that Leia could force pull herself, like, yeah. that's not Star Wars. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? How are yeah. What, like, this, this constant marker throughout the new trilogy of what is Star Wars, what isn't, this doesn't fit, this does, um, is is ridiculous in a lot of ways. And I think those of us who consume so much broad content would accept it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they would. Well, and I don't know if it's just a small amount of, a small vocal amount of people that are, you know, concerned about things like that, but... Yeah, true, true. 
But, you know, it's definitely out there and it's loud, so it's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but there's so much here and it's interesting. Yeah, I just I just don't know if it's um if it's one of those things that will always be just left of center for Star Wars, or if there's ever a time to pull this stuff into more of the mainstream. And yeah. I, think the, I think the Rise of Skywalker actually had a couple of opportunities to do that, but instead did other things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and again, that's also where the plausibility of the Emperor's spirit being brought into a clone, it's like, yeah, that, that seems doable. Like, yeah. The, the Force is weird. It can do lots of cool stuff. I don't know. Whatever. Just go with it. But yeah. yeah. I, 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 want, I wonder if now, because we talked again in the news section, there's like a bazillion different movies being made in different directions. Could we see something being more off the beaten path? Because we talked, we've talked a lot about this with the Marvel movies. And every single time they're like, well, we're going to do Doctor Strange. You're like, oh, that no one's ever going to watch that magic nonsense. They're doing, you know, Thor with the Dark Elves. Like, no one's going to watch that weird fantasy stuff. They did Thor Ragnarok. No one's going to watch weird spaceship stuff. But I don't know. I think if they do it well, people will accept it. But I think that's part of the problem. That we have a history of Star Wars movies being clunky and weird as is so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think maybe i think maybe the skywalker saga isn't the place for it but maybe one standalone movie could be the place for it or one series on disney plus i agree yeah i mean that could be where we take you know some other character storylines moving forward that wouldn't that would make sense but yeah i I, I, I like the way you're talking about this, Liz, the idea of how this little kernel of a weird part of season three does seem so important. And one other thing I want to bring up is this idea. They focus a lot on the question that for a long time before the sequel trilogy came out, we thought was the question of Star Wars. Is Anakin the chosen one? And will he bring balance to the Force? Now, Brian, as our kind of Lord of Star Wars content, do you think that storyline has been dropped, answered, moved away from, forgotten? Because when I hear the father talking about Anakin being the Chosen One, it's like, oh, yeah. The whole prequel series was about that. And then I don't know if he's the Chosen One. I don't know what that means. I don't know what balance of the force even means. Well, but it, yeah, this is something I have struggled with, right? On one hand, if you're talking about balance, if you think about a scale, like the scales of justice, right? We we got to picture that. If we're talking about the balance being the light and the dark evened out, in a way he did, because Mm -hmm. at that point, the only really active Sith were, um, you know, I guess you could count Maul if you wanted to. Maul and Vader and the Emperor. On the other side, you have Obi-Wan and Yoda. And you have, um, you know, you see now Kane and Jarrus from uh, Rebels, you know. But it's mm-hmm. about even, is what I'm saying. There, there really is a sort of... It's not like when there were a thousand Jedi and, you know, a handful of Sith. So if you're talking about yeah. it just in terms of balancing a scale maybe he did i think that his idea of being the chosen one like if if it wasn't for anakin skywalker let me me, me trace this train of thought (laughs) if it wasn't for anakin skywalker do we believe that the emperor could have taken power i still say yes he -hmm. would have found somebody else correct I and the more that I watch it, the more that I would say yes, because Anakin's role in it, as much as we follow his character, is super minimal. We see him kill a bunch of children. That's all he does. We do. (laughs) We do see him hunt down another Jedi, but we also have other Inquisitors that do the same thing. So, 
I, the more that I kept thinking about this, because we talked a little bit about this, I think last week too, uh, two weeks ago, but the idea of maybe the emperor was just removing him from the game because he didn't want him opposing him. Yeah, I mean that that could certainly Ra- rather than having him as his right hand man, maybe that's the safest place to keep him so he doesn't fight against you. Yeah, that that's interesting. But so, what I was going to say though was, you know, because of Anakin basically tossing aside the teachings of the Jedi and impregnating Padme, we get Luke and Leia, and Luke and Leia save the universe a couple times over. And so is he the chosen one because he's really the chosen sperm donor and like that's it's his <laughs> kids that are important or is he the chosen one that like because because he saves Luke at the end of Return of the Jedi is that is that the action that makes him the chosen one? But then the question comes to like who yeah but that's also part of the problem with a story that then continues for another trilogy afterwards. Or the one they're supposed to defeat is back. Yeah. Like, is Ray the chosen one? Is yeah, But again, like, if we're following the string, Anakin's son is the one who trains Ray. Yeah. And so it all does fall back to him. But isn't that true of just, like, wouldn't the first human ever be the chosen one then? Because eventually, yeah. their descendants will do, will do good. Yeah, things. but at that point, wouldn't it be Qui Gon or would it be Obi Wan? That's a part with balance too. If Qui Gon is trying to restore balance, him bringing Anakin in then to kill a bunch of the Jedi to even footing is weird. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It. I, it ne- it never meshes well, and it keeps it's um. And again, the the only point I'm harping on it is because it is the question that is an- like asked again and again and again in the prequels, and we see it here in the Clone Wars, and then we never really get any satisfying answer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I I don't even know where I stand on it. Like overall, I'm not even entirely sure. If I feel that there, that there even is a chosen one, or, I mean, is the chosen one just like a bullshit argument? You know, we see so much of Palpatine pulling the strings. Is it just did he basically invent this theory of a chosen one to give the Jedi something to distract themselves with? You know, like there's yeah. there are so many potential solutions. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's I don't I don't I don't either. Um, but uh, uh, this is a question for both of you. What were each of your favorite parts of this Ghost of Mortis arc? Hmm. Favorite parts. Other than the introduction of my favorite voice actor, um, <laughs> who's that? The uh the one who plays the brother who then plays Maul throughout. Uh. Um, the hot one from the show about the vampire and werewolf living together. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I knew it why. Oh, um, just human, something human, Uh. being human. Uh, I I don't, I don't know it. Sam Sam something from being human. Sam Sam Whitmer from being Uh. human. Nice work. (laughs) Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, because uh, you know, for me, I don't know if there's one moment that particularly stands out, but I'll say just, um, I guess this is the Star Wars stuff I always wanted to see, so mm-hmm. I was just overjoyed that we were getting this type of Star Wars stuff, and I really appreciate that. Um, but for you guys, is there a particular moment that stands out to you? Hmm. No, there's not a. There's great moments. I think the brother at the sister's gravesite is a good one. Just trying to understand the. I think it's a lot with the Sith witches too. Like this idea of the dark side of the Force is not always about 
evil for torture and mutilation. It's just idea of power um, and what he's willing to sacrifice for that power and what he's not. And then we see Anakin unwilling to sacrifice, which is what leads him down the dark path. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting that he, yeah, wouldn't stay behind. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I think this is the first time in watching the Clone Wars where I felt like I was getting a piece of Star Wars that I would not have got in any way otherwise. Like everything in the first mm-hmm. two and a half seasons leading up to this, I you definitely get some new stuff, but it's stuff that you feel like would have been a part of your Star Wars diet somewhere else down the road. But yeah, it's like a new version of something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this stuff is all really... This is pretty much the only place this stuff exists. Yeah, this is just different. Yeah. And so, uh, for this and many reasons, God bless Dave Filoni. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just really the... the in many ways, the patron saint of Star Wars, the guy who took Star Wars and allowed it to become something. I, I honestly don't think that the Last Jedi, which is my second favorite ever Star Wars movie, I don't think that would have taken the chances it did if there weren't Filoni influences saying it was okay to do so. Hmm. And so yeah. I, I am very, very thankful for Dave Filoni and. Uh, like I said, this is just such an interesting, such an interesting part of Star Wars that wouldn't be there without him. So yes, Dave Filoni yeah, is the best. Yeah, it's part yeah, of the reason. Given... It's part Sorry. of the reason why I'm. Oh, it's part of the reason why I'm glad I'm watching the Clone Wars now. Yeah, it's, it's just giving you different stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Anything else to add? No. Uh, about this. Nope. No, no, I don't think so. All right. Um, so, are you guys both cool with doing the next two seasons together? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I just thought the the Ghost of Mortis was enough to kind of take a pause. Season three, but yeah, the other two, yeah. more Cad Bane, but am I watching? Remarkable. <laughs> am I watching both of them in two weeks? No, no. <laughs> No, uh, I think the next time we get together, we'll be talking about that Padme novel, uh, okay. which, which I need to get the name of again, because uh, I want to make sure our, our listeners have a chance to read along if they would like to. Excellent. Um, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Mm-hmm. Queen's Shadow. Queen's Shadow by E.K. Johnson. Uh-oh. And um, let's see here. I'm just doing a quick look, see to see how many pages. 301 pages. Um, that's okay. that's a doable. That's, that's a third of a dune. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta see how many extra pages are at the back of the Kindle version, so I know my percentage <laughs> of red. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see here. Um, it looks like not too many actually. Look at the, the, the okay. action stops on page two ninety eight. Oh, okay, that's good. That's good. Oh wait, no, <laughs> hang on, 51... hang on, hang on. Oh, be... Uh oh. Yeah, before nope, there is a uh, as Star Wars is always want to do, there is a uh a prologue to the second Galaxy's Edge novel. Oh. Which is which are the novels that take place on the planet that the, the new Star Wars land in Disney mm-hmm. takes place on. Yeah. So it's actually um only two hundred and sixty nine pages. Ah, okay. Uh, okay. So All right. Yeah, we, we can. We, we, and it looks like actually, uh, it looks like the book starts on page, uh, page six. So it's, you know, just keeps eating away. Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, we They're like they 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 pad the pages like Liz's kids do. That's right. <laughs> All right, folks. Well, thank you for listening. As always, we'll be back with a discussion of Queen's Shadow next time. Until then. 
email us forceghostc2c at gmail.com or tweet at us at forceghostc2c um we'd love to hear your thoughts about star wars i actually have some fun uh, ideas i haven't told matt and liz about yet for the summer so um we'll see about doing an episode like that i i had i had an idea literally in a dream the other night oh boy nice nice so we'll get to that and um remember until next time the force will be with you